episode 306, a deep dive into Amazon's pharmacy and the Amazon pharmacy model some employers are running with. Today, I speak with G. Bai, PhD, CPA, and Associate Professor of Accounting at John Hopkins Carey Business School and Associate Professor of Health Policy and Management at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Here's a trigger warning. This show gets pretty deep into some of the nether regions of PBM contractual terms with pharmacies. If you are not, I'm going to say, pretty familiar with PBM goings on, I'd suggest you listen to episode 241 with Vinay Patel first or skip like the first third of this show. Today, I am speaking with G. Bai about Amazon's pharmacy business. G. Bai, PhD, CPA, is an associate professor of accounting at Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business. She is also associate professor of health policy and management at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. G. trained as an accounting researcher who originally started looking into charge masters for her dissertation. From there, she started checking out healthcare pricing and contracting issues. Who knew charge masters were like a gateway drug into healthcare? I asked G questions such as, why the heck does Amazon need a PBM for cash pay patients? And what's this Amazon pharmacy model that some self-insured employers are talking about? And then we get into rebates and the impact that Amazon will have on rebates. Right up front, I want to just say flat out, I learned a mind-blowing detail from G. There's a contracting term that PBMs put in their contracts with pharmacies. Basically, a pharmacy cannot sell a drug to a cash pay patient for an amount that is less than the price a PBM pays the pharmacy for the drug or the pharmacy charges the PBM for the drug. I guess it depends how you perceive that relationship. So the pharmacy's list price paid by cash pay patients can't be less than the contracted price that it has with any third-party payer. Like, the PBMs will always have to get the better price than cash pay patients. There's one exception, though, unless the cash pay patient wanders in with a coupon, like a GoodRx coupon, for example. There are a whole lot of implications to this if you start to think about it. Spoiler alert, there will be an Ask an Expert with G. Bai coming out after this show, where G and I get deeply into GoodRx's business model. So stay tuned for that if you are interested. You might be subscribed to the show on iTunes, but I'd also encourage you to sign up for our newsletter on RelentlessHealthValue.com. Every week, you get a transcript of the introduction to the show that's coming out that week. So, you know, you can prioritize your listening accordingly. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. G. by PhD, CPA. Welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you, Stacey. Great to be here. Let me ask you this first. Why is Amazon getting into the pharmacy space a big deal? I mean, like they aren't cutting out PBM middlemen. They aren't really doing anything fundamentally different than other pharmacies or, or are they? That's a great point. Actually, they are not cutting out PBMs at all. They are actually using a PBM. It's called InsideRx. So InsideRx. InsideRx uh, that is wholly owned by Express Scripts. 
which is a subsidiary of Signal. So they're not cutting out PBMs. I view Amazon Pharmacy as a combination of GoodRx and the meal order pharmacy. So it's basically GoodRx. Yeah, plus a meal order pharmacy. Plus a mail order pharmacy altogether. So it makes money just like how GoodRx is making and then also utilize their enormous market power in the retail space to make a meaningful, powerful player in the meal order pharmacy industry. Okay, so Amazon on the surface is different in the sense that if I'm a patient, I don't have to go schlepping around to four different pharmacies with a GoodRx card to, you know, get my four prescriptions, which may be the low price may be available at four different pharmacies. I can just go to Amazon. And I actually was talking to somebody the other day that did a little experiment on his own. <laughs> he had four or five prescriptions and, and he found the Amazon price to be very comparable with, with GoodRx. So that's kind of on the surface, but is there anything different fundamentally that's going on kind of like behind the scenes? The difference would be the number of PBMs contracted with GoodRx versus Amazon. Right now, Amazon only contracts with InsideRx, but on the other hand, GoodRx contracts with multiple PBMs. I think by contracting with InsideRx, giving this, this exclusivity to InsideRx, uh, probably Amazon was able to obtain a very good deal from InsideRx. So where I always get confused is that it's not like the PBM is sourcing the drug. Like the, the PBM isn't buying drugs. Like why couldn't Amazon with all their market power go directly to a wholesaler and just say, Get, we're going to buy drugs and then we're going to sell them at some percentage over, you know, some markup. That would happen in an ideal case if there's no third-party payer at all. So everybody's paying cash. The model just mentioned, Stacey, would work splendidly. But because we have a third-party payer system, so Amazon cannot afford to only deal with cash pay patients. Right? There's just not enough demand to make Amazon viable. As long as Amazon has to take up third-party payer sponsored plans, Amazon must make sure it follows the rule that the least price of Amazon pharmacy must be higher than any contract price offered uh, to any third-party payer. The list price of Amazon pharmacy must be higher than the contracted price offered to any third-party payer. That makes it impossible for Amazon to offer that pure cash price to cash pay patients and at the same time make its business viable with third-party sponsored plans. Is it a rule or is it just some kind of, you know, standard contracting term that yeah. a pharmacy can't charge a price to its cash pay patients that is less than up the price that it offers a contracted entity, you know, like a third-party payer. So I can't just decide I want to charge a five bucks to my cash pay patient and then 18 bucks is the lowest price I'm going to give a third-party payer. That's exactly right. It's a contracting term used by all PBMs. We must understand the PBM is a product of the third-party payer system. We don't have insurance companies. We don't have PBMs. PBMs are there to make sure that the 
payer, the third party payer, the insurance company, are getting the, I would not say the best price, but definitely not the worst price. So one way to look at that is the cash price must not be lower than whatever the price PBMs got from the pharmacy. So that is the genesis of this rule. So that's why a pharmacy can't just go buy stuff from a wholesaler and then just like sell it. <laughs> or, you know, Stacey, it can be completely cash pay. Let's say tomorrow Amazon says, we do not deal with any insured patients. We only deal with cash pay patients. Then that will work. Then they definitely do not need the PBMs. Again, PBMs are products of third-party payer system. So if we just do cash pay, like we never need to have PBMs for over-the-counter drugs, right? So if Amazon goes into a very niche market, like everybody's cash pay, then no worries about PBMs. We can do exactly what you describe. Well, why doesn't Amazon just set up two companies? I mean, they're big enough, you know, so you've got Amazon insurance and Amazon cash pay and the cash pay version, they could afford a separate LLC. <laughs> we believe there is a pretty good market for cash pay patients, but in reality, it's very small potato compared to the overall market. Right? Think about who's really using the prescription drugs. The majority is Medicare patients, right? And then the many uninsured patients relatively healthy as compared to insured patients. Oh, that's interesting that uninsured patients are relatively healthy compared to insured patients. That'll mess up your actuarial table. I don't think the cash pay patients as a market has enough cloud to entice any major players in retail pharmacy going to create a niche market for them exclusively. Well, if GoodRx deals primarily with cash pay patients and somehow or another they manage to make $300 million, I mean, it's something. Exactly. So Amazon's trying to cut into that business with GoodRx. But at the same time, Amazon Pharmacy has to maintain its own pharmacy. So that's why it cannot completely disintegrate PBMs from the whole system. So they're thinking that $300 million is like two small potatoes to have a separate entity? I would say yes. If like, I think the 300, let's say $400 million is still not a major profit driver as compared to the pharmacy itself. I don't know about their you know, inside information, but I think the expected profit from both the good Rx model and the meal order pharmacy should be comparable. It would not be like one is very, very dominant. And think about it in the future. In the future, Amazon probably put more weight on the pharmacy side, trying to expand that and maybe go into labeling generic drugs, making generic drugs. So, so I think that you know, pharmacy side probably is something more promising for Amazon in the long run. So from Amazon's perspective, it's not really the, in air quotes, show all the cash prices. That's the interesting part of the business for them or trying to duplicate GoodRx's model. It's the mail order pharmacy part that's attractive now and especially in the future. I want to bring in another piece of information. You know, as of today, think about the stock market movement as compared to six months ago. The GoodRx stock price has already dropped by 18%. 18%. So that tells us GoodRx was hit hardest by Amazon Pharmacy's entry into this space. So is Amazon doing anything that's like super innovative if that's the case? I mean, it sounds like they're just a 
really big, convenient mail order pharmacy. Exactly. So they're actually not doing anything substantially creative. It only creates a threat, a credible threat to good acts, as well as create a good, credible threat to the existing online, the mail order pharmacy, as well as the community pharmacy like CVS. You know, just by by standing there, you know, having so much infrastructure already built there, you know, and the huge retail market share and great customer service and name recognition. Amazon just saying, look, I'm entering this space. You guys be careful. Just create a lot of pressure and the competition motivation for these companies. So there has been talk, you have actually talked about the Amazon pharmacy model in air quotes that some self-insured employers may consider adopting. In fact, you, you mentioned it at the top of this conversation. What does that mean? Specifically, the self-insured employers can consider three options. Three options. Number one, they can ask their own PBMs to include Amazon Pharmacy in the PBM's network. You know, so we have one more pharmacy into the existing network of my own PBM. That will help, right? One more player does not hurt. That's the first option. The second option would be, you know, I'm the employer. I tell my PBM, you know, from now on, let's carve out all meal order business and carve it out and give that to Amazon. So that's, that's another option. The third option would be, you know what? We Through Amazon, I have access to InsideRx. I'm going to kick out the PBM and just hire someone, hire a clearinghouse or hire a consultant to adjudicate all the claims. So I no longer need the PBM. So this is, in my opinion, three potential options The self insured employers can consider. All right, so let's go through these. Option number one is that they ask their current PBM to put Amazon Pharmacy in their network. What was that? Correct. Okay. Correct. So it, it's basically, you know, there was the whole big ESI versus Walgreens a couple of years ago where ESI kicked Walgreens out of their network and Walgreens had a, let's just say, a really bad quarter. <laughs> So, you know, you've got PBMs, the big PBMs that might be thinking that they're going to exclude the Amazon pharmacy from their contracted network pharmacies. And and effectively what you're saying is let's make sure that the PBMs don't exclude Amazon. Right. And that might generate savings. So let's say I'm a worker of that employer. I looked at Amazon pharmacy price first. Now I think this is better for me in terms of the out-of-pocket. Then because my employer give me that option to use Amazon pharmacy, then I just you know, buy it and that will save money for me and might save money for my employer. And it could save money because they transparently show all the prices. So, you know, I right. can see exactly how much my drugs cost. Would you expect that it would be true that Amazon pharmacy for the third party pay drugs? I mean, if my copay is 25 bucks, my copay is going to be 25 bucks. It doesn't matter if I go to, you know, the pharmacy down the street or a juggernaut like Amazon, right? It's about those out of pocket expenditure that is somehow linked to the least price. And there is some difference between pharmacies, but a very small difference, I agree. It's really about the design. Yeah, and it could, if it's co-insurance, that this might make a difference as opposed to a co-pay. Right, if it's just a co-pay, it won't make any difference, I agree. Okay, so number one is just, you know, 
send a memo to your PBM if you're a self-insured employer saying, hey, you got Amazon Pharmacy in your network of contracted pharmacies. If not, put them in there, please. That's number one. Right. Number two is if I'm an employer, I tell my PBM, ixnay with your mail order PBM, I want to use Amazon's mail order. That's right. I mean, a lot of PBMs, they let's just say, have a thing going with their mail order. And we don't necessarily have time to get into it now, but it's quite profitable <laughs> what they're doing yeah. with their mail order at a number of different levels. So do you think that a large PBM is going to be amenable to... <laughs> right. They would not want that. But in order to retain the employer, the PBM must offer some better deal. Right, that's what we mean by a credible threat. By having Amazon there, PBMs are more likely to cut a better deal for employers. Maybe they will say, you know, I'll reduce the fee or I will do more pass-through. They have to do something better in order to deserve the service granted to them by the employer. So even if the employer doesn't wind up succeeding in their mission <laughs> to get Amazon Pharmacy as the carved out mail order, it's going to force existing oligopoly of PBMs that we've got going on here to potentially not be quite as, they now have competition. So Exactly, Stacey. So this, you know, in finance, we say options valuable, right? Options always valuable in this case by having Amazon Pharmacy as a mail order option, employers are empowered. Just like, you know, in job market, the first offer we got is always very helpful. We can use this leverage more offers. So employers can say, you know, I can just go ahead and contract with Amazon Pharmacy tomorrow. You know, just give us better deal. Okay. Then number three is that an employer says, a self-insured employer says, you know what, I'm just going to kick out my existing PBM and I'm going to use InsightRx to adjudicate my claims. We're not even in InsightRx. I can just, let's say, hire Harry G., uh, be the be the claim processor to adjudicate all the claims. So what does that mean? Nobody has insurance anymore. Everybody buy drug using cash price. Remember the cash price is the discount price through the inside RX through Amazon. And then every quarter or every year we look at how much money we spend. Then we the company pays for it. So basically, there's no insurance. I've heard people call that the shoebox <laughs> yeah, insurance, yeah, exactly. right? Where you buy yep. whatever you want, you throw your receipts in a shoebox, and then you submit them like an expense report and then you get reimbursed. <laughs> right. In that case, you don't need a PBM. You don't even need a, a third-party administrator. You only need a not traditional third... You don't need an insurance company, basically. You need just a, a health benefit consultant to help you. I guess that works if your drugs cost, you know, 25, 30 bucks and you're firmly in the middle class. But like, what if you're trying to buy some thing, you know, some specialty pharmacy drug where, you know, by the end of the quarter, you've got like 40 grand out of pocket. <laughs> is this a self-insured employer? Employer is going to pay for all that. Oh, I see. Not okay. the employee, right? If we have a pretty big pool, it's really no different from what they're doing right now by hiring a third-party administrator, hiring the PBMs, handling all this. I don't think that's a crazy idea. You know, think about some religious group. They're already using this kind of model. They don't have insurance. Everybody, you know, put in membership fee. At the end of the year, we look at if there's deficit, if there's a premium. But in this case, everything comes from the employer's pocket. As long as the employer have some kind of pre-authorization, making sure utilization is reasonable, 
if it's just a, a reasonable model, it's promising. I mean, you could even do that for all drugs except for specialty pharmacy or something like that. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm assuming that Amazon is sophisticated enough that if you have a group that everybody, you know, like y'all get to use, you know, like the payment method is the yeah. employer as opposed to the person's own credit card. Exactly. So as long as the employer has a will and has the, the interest, right, to really control their spending, the third option actually can be promising. Let's just talk about an extenuating factor here because there's always an extenuating factor in healthcare. Rebates. Generally speaking, pharma works with the PBM, they pay rebates. There's been a number of Relentless Health Value shows about how that whole operation works. So I would direct you to the show that I did recently with Chris Sloan or AJ Loyacono if you are interested in the nitty gritty there. But... Bottom line, it has been said often that health plans, especially self-insured employers, become addicted to rebates. So pharma company pays a rebate to the plan at the end of the year based on drug spend, right? The pharma company pays it in. Some of that gets transferred over to the plan and then the plan uses that money to reduce premiums. So basically pharma companies and their rebates are subsidizing everybody's premium to a certain extent. It's like a bonus check at the end of the year for some of these plans. <laughs> if we're not, or we're disintermediating these PBMs, or some of the money's going to Amazon. I mean, then I'm going to assume that rebates are going to diminish. First of all, is that a correct assumption? I think so. So if we go into a completely rebate-free world, or everything you know very transparent, then there's no rebates. Everything's at the time of sale or the price concession. Then there will not be a big fat check at the end of the year or at the end of the quarter. On the surface, it seems a loss for the employer. But in essence, it might be a gain. The reason is the drug utilization might be more efficient. You know, there might be some combo drug, the Me Too drug, the drugs that are very expensive, but actually have the e equivalent ingredient in, from the therapeutic perspective. So those drugs often show up the PBM's formularies because those drugs have high rebates, have high price, and that will give PBMs more profit. But if we get rid of those drugs and we go to pure transparency model, at the end of the year, employers will not see the rebate. But throughout the year, the drug benefit expenditure is lower. So overall, the employers are more likely to experience a gain than a loss. If employers start really relying on a transparency model such as Amazon provides, and there's also transparent or clearinghouse PBMs themselves that are also entering the market, but the more the market moves to a more transparent model, the lower and lower and lower rebates are going to be because the price that the, the patient's just going to pay is going to be lower up front. It's not going to be the patient and the transaction itself is going to be a higher price. And then on the back end, there's money that the bonus check comes in at the end of the year. That cannot be done until we get rid of the rebates, right, the safe harbor provision. That is a huge challenge from the legal perspective. So let me just understand this for a sec. I was under the, so there has to be the safe harbor provision has to be revoked 
at the government level for that to happen. Like this isn't something that a plan can start creating an Amazon formulary or a waste-free formulary, I've also heard it called, and kind of themselves (laughs) chip into the rebates. Like this isn't something that a self-insured employer can do by themselves based on the using Amazon entirely or something like that. Like Right. But using the waste-free formulary will not require the safe harbor provision being revoked. So there'd still be rebates in play? Still be rebates, but probably at a smaller amount because you uh, steer your employees to more cost-effective drugs, which do not have a lot of rebates in the first place. So there will be less rebates being passed through at the end of the year. So the waste-free formulary works like the employer grabbing the power to design formulary from PBMs, saying, I'm going to design not the whole thing, but make some adjustment, making the formulary more efficient, more cost-effective. And then at the end of the year, you'll still pass me the rebates. They're telling their members, and there's some kind of, I guess you'd have to direct employees and make sure they got the right drugs in the right place. But you're basically saying like, you know, these drugs aren't going to be covered because you're just going to go online on Amazon and buy the cash price because the cash price might be less than the copay anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, need a lot of steering. You know, so steer to Amazon for all of these and then use your insurance traditionally for those particular drugs and then those particular drugs are still going to be subject to the rebate thing. Yeah, there are many creative things can be done. But fundamentally, employers want to have more power in the whole process. The more responsibility they delegate to PBMs, the less likely they can generate savings. Right. It's like you, the deeper you look into the whole thing, the more likely you're going to generate savings. The same logic with drug benefit design. And you're saying that because PBMs have the incentive to maximize rebates at this juncture. So the higher, there's such a thing in pharmaceutical marketing called a super rebate strategy, where basically, you know, you go to market with a pricing structure designed to maximize your rebate so that PBMs will put you on formulary, even if your drug may not be, you know, (laughs) earth shatteringly Mm -hmm. effective. So you basically buy your way onto a formulary, the PBM puts you on formulary, and then what winds up happening on the back end is obviously employers are paying a high price and patients are paying a high coinsurance or copay for a drug such as that. Right, exactly. On the back end though, you know, if an employer might not understand, like maybe an employer kind of likes those super rebate strategies because then they get the big bonus check at the end of the year. Right. So, and many employers are exactly doing like doing things like that. They they only focus on the very nice contract terms with PBM saying no fee, you don't need to pay us. Wow, that's great. And then at the end of the, the year, you will get a big fat check. But then they forgot that throughout the year, their drug spending is higher due to the lack of careful management of their own drug benefit. Yeah, it almost reminds me of like a, when people are so excited because they got taxes back at the end of the year. It's kind of like, okay, well, what that means is that you paid too many taxes. So somebody else had your money for six months or whatever. Right. We have to have a holistic perspective on this, not just look at the end of the year rebates or not just look at the the fee or no fee uh, contracting provision. We have to 
you know, calculate all the drug spending and then make informed decision. So what advice at this moment in time do you have for self-insured employers? Like if you were a self-insured employer right now, what would you be doing? Effort you put into making your design of the benefits better will not be wasted. It will help you save money. The more carefree style of management, the more pain you will experience at the end. I mean, <laughs> more expense you have to pay. Because basically you're delegating really important decisions to market forces who may not necessarily have your employees' health outcomes as their first priority. That's a great point, Stacy. If it's a perfectly competitive market, meaning that there are many, many players in the PBM market, then you should not have a huge concern because the competition would drive down PBM profits and will do the best thing for you. But in reality, there are only three large PBMs. Then the competition is just not sufficient to really drive the actions of PBMs aligned with your interest. Is there anything I neglected to ask you, G, that you think would be important to mention? I think we are at the crossroads in the healthcare system in the U.S. If we do not put off efforts, make the private market work, then the next option would be single payer. So I think for all the people who would like to see a dynamic, vibrant private healthcare market, I think the responsibility is on us to make the private healthcare system work. Gee, if someone is interested in reading some of your work, which is awesome, where would you direct them for more information? Thank you, Stacey. I think LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, please feel free to follow me and also check my website at Johns Hopkins University. G by PhD CPA. Thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you so much, Stacy. My pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.